This episode is sponsored by Blinkist. Now, one of our favorite books is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. In that, he talks about the Eisenhower Matrix, which is like a decision matrix of the type of tasks, the type of activities that you do. And it splits them up in urgent versus important. We spend so much time in the urgent quadrants. We're thinking about all the things that we have to do right now, whether it's replying to that email, answering that phone call, completing that end of month report. We're so caught up in the urgent that we never really cross across into the things that are not so urgent, but are vitally important. And one of those things that is the perfect mix of not urgent, but important is learning. And Blinkist is a great way that you can learn more in less time. Because Blinkist is for anyone who really cares about learning, but doesn't have a lot of time. What it does, it takes the key ideas and insights from over 4,000 non-fiction bestsellers in more than 27 categories and puts them into 15-minute text and audio explainers. And right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com forward slash what you will learn to start a free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com forward slash what you will learn. Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of The First 20 Hours by Josh Kaufman, How to Learn Anything Fast. This is the author of the Personal MBA, and now he's talking all about skills here. He says, there is so much that you want to learn, but so little time. You know, if you think about all the things that you wish you could learn, maybe it's a new hobby, a new instrument, a new sport, a new skill, there are a couple of things holding us back, and that's time and skill. Yeah, for me, there is hundreds of things. I've never really learned how to play music fully or properly, never really learned languages to the Mm. extent that I'd like. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I never really got into. And that's because skills, they take a lot of time and effort. And it's really time we don't have in our busy lives. And another uncomfortable truth is like most things aren't fun until you're good at them. Like if you started playing the violin, you sound like absolute trash mm. for a long time until you actually get good. And it's not fun at all. Same as, I don't know, if, you, if you're going windsurfing and all you're doing is falling off and going into the cold water and getting smacked by the, I don't know, do you get smacked by stuff? I suppose yeah, I think water. water if it's yeah. choppy. <laughs> and you, like it's no fun at all until you're actually good at it. It's because every new skill you come up against, there's this frustration barrier. Like uh, at the site, you might be getting on the windsurfing and you just jump on and, and the wind doesn't take you anywhere. You're just <laughs> flapping around in the water, not doing anything and there's sharks around you and you're a bit scared of everything. You're getting sunburnt and nothing's really happening. It's because you haven't gotten to this point where it's actually fun. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why you're windsurfing, but hopefully there's not too many sharks around. But uh, that is a big risk and it isn't until we actually get past that frustration barrier that we actually start to enjoy it. So, this book is almost like the antidote. He says you've got to smash out the first 20 hours of any new skill. It's going to suck at first, but if you can push through that first 20 hours and not give up when it feels like crap, then you can get to the point where you actually start to enjoy it a little bit more and maybe you'll stick with it. So, that's the goal of this book. It's getting as past that frustration barrier as soon as you can with the smallest amount of time and frustration involved, just so you've got this new skill that you can enjoy for the rest of your life. So, this book is about rapid skill acquisition. It's about quickly putting in these 20 hours of effort required to get to that point and to this okay plateau. So, it really is a systematic approach to acquiring new skills as quickly as possible and the method is universal and what you're going to do is focus your energy with real strategic effort and you find yourself performing really well quickly without this frustration. So, what this book's going to do is get the things on your want-to-do list. For me, it's 100 
miles long. It's a, actually maybe not that. It's, <laughs> it's, maybe, still, it's still long. Let's say it's a long way. And actually be confident that I'll be able to learn these things within a small amount of time. So this book is about rapid skill acquisition as the technique we're using to, to learn a new kind of skill. And to explain what rapid skill acquisition is, maybe let's talk about what it's not. Firstly, rapid skill acquisition is very different from actually learning and understanding something deeply. So learning is hardcore, rapid skill acquisition is those first quick steps. So I guess an example for me is I used to, in primary school, I was learning Japanese and you'd learn the letters and you'd learn how to say car or pencil or some other random vocabulary stuff. Uh, But that wasn't truly learning. Compare that to my Japanese friend, Ryo, uh, who I met when we were both in Papua New Guinea and he had to learn to speak English. So, Rio and his brothers, they could genuinely learn to speak English, whereas I had no idea how to actually speak Japanese. If you threw me in uh, Tokyo, I'd be able to say pencil, I'd be able to say uh, arigato, konnichiwa, but that's pretty much the extent of my learning of Japanese. And rapid skill acquisition isn't like training. So, it's all about just acquiring a skill Um, just getting to a point where you've got something in your toolkit. Training means improving on a skill that you've already acquired through repetition. So if you think about running a marathon, for us, we learned this skill of getting up on your feet and walking and running when we were a kid. Um, To actually go to a marathon, you're going to have to do a whole bunch of actual training to get to the point where you can run the 42Ks without passing out. Yeah, that's it. And so, so rapid skill acquisition, it's not learning, it's not training, it's also not schooling. So, schooling, you know, your traditional form of education, that's not rapid skill acquisition. All you're really doing there is trying to uh, get, learn enough stuff in a short period of time that you can just pass the test, really. So, you're not really acquiring any new skills, you're just thinking, mm. what's the bare minimum I need to know in order to get a, an A, a B, a C? Yeah, absolutely. When I was living in Turkey and we were actually learning a bit of Turkish, I remember thinking about the vocabulary they were telling us to learn to pass the test. And there were words like horseshoe. Like, <laughs> yeah. no kid. Like, when are you going to, when the hell, <laughs> yeah. how many years? I don't even know if Turkey's got horses. <laughs> it's pointless. But that's so funny. Like, school, school learning languages, like, you learn so many different vocabulary words. Like, everything that's in a pencil case, pen, pencil, rubber, uh, sharpen, all these things. Like, when are you, if you just like actually went to that city, when would you ever use that? Mm. Never. <laughs> so, now that we've talked about what rapid skill acquisition is not, uh, we've probably got a bit of a better understanding about what rapid skill acquisition is. It's all about this idea of sufficiency and getting there as quickly as possible. So, we're not talking about getting to a world-class level. We're just talking about acquiring a new skill as quickly and effortlessly as possible so that we can keep enjoying what we're doing. So, we're shooting for the results and the value with the minimum amount of effort. So, you're not learning the equivalent of the word horseshoe in Turkish (laughs) for whatever skill you're trying to learn. You're focusing on the bare essentials that you need, which are actually going to contribute to you getting to that skill as quickly as possible without the frustration. And then it's up to you. If it's really resonating with you, you want to take it from there and train ahead and take it towards mastery. That's a real possibility. But this book focuses on getting you to to the point of just obtaining the skill only. So, now that we've talked about what rapid skill acquisition is, now that we know that that long you know, 100-mile long list of things that you wish you knew how to do one day that's been uh, collecting dust for the last couple of years, you're wishing you could do it but never actually doing it. Now, we're going to give you these five principles of rapid skill acquisition so you can dust off that list and start to learn a new skill. So, the first principle of rapid skill acquisition, and this might seem pretty obvious, but you need to choose a lovable project. 
So it was Carl Popper, your mate from the Big pub. Pop. I've heard of him before. Yeah. But uh, he was one of the greatest philosophers of the 20th century. We'll take Corf's yeah. man's word on that. <laughs> the guy that popularized the idea of scientific falsifiability. And the pop man said, the best thing that can happen to a human being is find a problem, fall in love with that problem, and to live trying to solve that problem unless another problem even more lovable appears. So life's about finding mm. problems that are lovable and then going out and having a crack at it. Yeah, the Kaufman says it's like developing a temporary obsession. You fall in love with this thing, you get obsessed with it for a short period of time so that you can learn it quickly. I guess one example where I did this wrong was I, I wanted to learn languages, same as you, whereas I thought, you know, uh, I want to learn something. I don't really know stuff aside from what I learned in school and, it, you know, when you go to a country, you pick up a few of the basics, but I wanted to learn something. So, I got the Duolingo app and I started mm. learning Esperanto and I thought, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a human-created language that's, uh, you know, only a couple of hundred years old, but apparently they made it so that you could easily learn other languages once you learn that one. But anyway, I was doing the app 10 minutes a day. Three week for about three weeks on my train trips, I did it, mm. but I got pretty bored. Like, cause Esperanto, yeah, no one speaks Esperanto. No, but no. if you if you contrast that to when I was I was meant to be going to Nepal earlier this year, until obviously there's no more international travel for the time being. But I started actually learning Nepali, and because I was actually going to use it in the future, it was a much more lovable project mm. um, to learn with the intention of actually using it. Yeah, absolutely. I got two examples. I think I did. Uh, go for a lovable project, which we'll hear about later in surfing. But another one I had a crack at a while ago, which I failed at was learning the saxophone. Mm. I think I had this idea in my head, like I was single at the time, um, playing sax on the balcony with some, serenading some beautiful women <laughs> coming to the house and, you know, in my brain, on my dream, I was singing while I was playing the sax or something. It's obviously <laughs> impossible, but I had that kind of thing going in my head. Yeah. But anyway, I just like jumped on the balcony and... um. And I was well below the frustration barrier. I thought, <laughs> fuck it, I'm going to play anyway. So I just put on a song and just start and the, just playing anything without knowing anything. And then everyone just got um, angry at me. Like neighbors. <laughs> I've got a bit of history with neighbors. But anyway, that fell flat uh, because it wasn't a genuine love mm. and passion for learning that skill. Yeah, that's it. So that first principle, you need to pick that lovable project. So the second principle then is you need to set a goal. So before you even get started, define like a target level of performance. Think to yourself, at what point do I need to get to? Would I call myself like good enough at this skill? Mm. So if you're learning a language, you might just be having a conversation with someone at a bar, um, you know, and kind of visualize, get a good understanding of what that is and what it looks like in terms of success. And even if it's a low bar, you can always shift that bar forward and have a more ambitious goal uh, as you move along. Yeah, exactly. You might Before you even get started, it might be tough to work out what an achievable level is within 20 hours, but set something that you want to do. And, you know, for you, it's, you know, serenading beautiful women. That's an important, like, that's a good goal to work towards. You realize quickly it was probably tougher than you thought, but mm. it's a good goal to have and then you can readjust. Yeah. Well, there might be an issue with correlation and causation. <laughs> I think uh, if you're serenading and you get successful in that department, the saxophone is just one aspect. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So, the third element is to research the skill and related topics. So, spend a fair bit of time before you jump into actually trying to learn it. Just browse around on the internet, jump on YouTube, read a few blog posts about it. Um, just get a rough understanding about the skill and you'll have a better understanding of the battleground and what uh, you know, battles you want to be targeting in your learning uh, process. 
So this is about getting a, a taste of that project before you dive into it. So one example might be if you if you want to take on jujitsu or ma- uh, mixed martial arts, you start by watching the UFC, seeing blokes getting their faces caved in and decide if that's something that you want to do or not. Uh, but he, he does say that it's vital that you do this at the start so you know really what you're getting into. But don't spend too much time doing this because every minute that you spend watching a video on YouTube as, as quote-unquote research is an extra minute where you're not spending practicing and getting to that frustration barrier. Absolutely. An obvious one is books as well. Buying a few books on the topic, reading blogs, and then you're going to get a significantly increased understanding of it. And another one other than books in the same, directionally the same, is speaking to some kind of a mentor in that mm. area, spending a bit of cash on a coach or something and all these little things that might take you years to um, learn if you weren't to have the coach, you're going to learn it from day one. So, it's going to make that first 20 hours much more efficient. Yeah, it really does make it more efficient because it streamlines the process and it lets you know what are the important things and not important things. Like you, you just if you dive straight into trying to learn the saxophone, you don't really know where to start. Whereas if you just had a coach and say, hey, here's like the first week you should do this, second week you should do this, it becomes a lot clearer and a lot easier. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> that was a mis- Mate, after reading this, <laughs> you it was the worst learning effort. <laughs> I should have got a music teacher to learn notes rather than just start just, just playing <laughs> the sax on the balcony. Jump, jumping to the point of serenading and improv and freestyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't work. An important part of this research then is deconstructing into sub-skills. Um, so, I guess you know, the, you've got the one overarching skill, but then there's plenty of smaller sub-skills within that. So, if you think of playing golf as the major skill that you want to learn, there's a whole bunch of sub-skills that include you know, choosing the right club for the situation you're in, driving off the tee, hitting out of a bunker, putting from the green. There's all these different sub-skills, which are smaller elements of it that you need to practice one by one. Yeah, once you've deconstructed the actual art of something like golf, it makes it much easier to identify the sub-skills that are most important. Mm. I think at the very start when you want to get into golf uh, and it's the first, you're on the first hole or something and you've got 10 um, clubmen just watching you and club women watching you and <laughs> you don't want to, <laughs> the pressure's on. You want to be able to smack it with your driver. So understanding that, you might end up going to the driving range to mm. work on that sub-skill specifically. Yeah, that's it. Rather than just thinking, I want to learn golf and you go straight to playing 18 holes, uh, maybe you realize that there's there's sort of three or four major elements. You go to the driving range for a week, then you go to the mini golf to learn putting for a week uh, before you hit the before you hit the real golf course. Yeah, and it's probably a bit more fun as well doing all of that. Four is eliminating the barriers to practice. So you need to obtain critical tools um, and most schools you want to learn, will. it's always going to require some kind of tool. Mm. So jujitsu, like you're mentioning, I had a crack at it at some stage. At the start, you're borrowing the geese. They're not washed beautifully. <laughs> be There's a bit of <laughs> old bloke's bit. smell in it and all that. <laughs> so buying just yourself a gi, doing a bit of that, investing some cash into that stuff does help. Yeah, exactly. If you want to learn to play tennis, you need a tennis racket and a few balls uh, and, a, and a tennis court or access to one. If you want to learn scuba diving, then you need the, the tank and the accessories you need to get in a pool or in the ocean. Uh, if you want to learn a musical instrument, obviously you need to buy that musical instrument. So whatever it is, there's going to be some kind of critical tool that you need. Yeah, I think it's important to know upfront that it's going to cost a bit of money if you really want to learn some skills quickly. I think it's important to just mentally prepare that it's going to cost money and you don't want to be a tight ass and cheap out on this stuff because Mm. this will really be the barrier to you actually getting that skill. Yeah, that's one big barrier that we need to eliminate is what he calls this significant pre-practice effort. So, you've got to get the right stuff first. There's other types of um, barriers that might stand in your way. He says like intermittent resource availability. Like if you want to 
learn to swim, but the pool isn't open after you finish work and you can't go to the pool, then that's going to be tough. If you want to learn to play squash, but the courts are always booked out, that's going to be tough. Um, so that's that intermittent resource availability you need to find a solution for. Another few things are environmental distractions, having the TV on, phone, email. You might even just throw your TV out completely. <laughs> no, I'm serious. If you want to be someone who wants to learn a whole bunch of skills over your lifetime, if you factor in the amount of average hours on TV, mm. mate, that's probably 100 skills right there. Yeah. Just <laughs> yeah, making definitely. that one decision. <laughs> you got emotional blocks like fear, doubt, embarrassment. So... For an example, if you want to do public speaking, mm. a huge barrier to that is fear. If you want mm. to wipe out fear, go and do stand-up comedy or something mm. like that. So, that's another way of eliminating a barrier. So, now we're up to our fifth uh, and just to recap them so far. So, we've chosen a lovable project. We've set our goal or our target level of performance. We've done some research and broken our major skill into the sub-skills. We've eliminated all the barriers and so now number five, time to make some dedicated time for practice. So, with a lot of skills that are on your bucket list, you it's it's just in that someday maybe list. Someday you'll get around to it, but tomorrow actually never really comes. Sometimes you got to just bite the bullet and say, all right, I'm going to clear out my Sundays, going to clear out whatever time it is, your after work between five and six to actually get down and learn this thing. Yeah, and he says that you can't find extra time. You've got to make extra time. Uh, it's We've got a fixed amount of time, so you've got to take it from somewhere else. As you said, maybe it's turning off the TV for a bit. Maybe it's just blocking out your, your lunch hour where you do half the time you eat lunch and half the time you're doing this skill. But what you should be doing is pre-committing to at least 20 hours of practice. As we said at the start, you're going to suck at first. So if you can force yourself to say, you know, for 20 days, you're going to do two half an hour sessions, one at lunchtime and one after dinner or something like that, you can break through that frustration barrier. You can get to the okay plateau. If you give up after a week, you're going to be no good. So you need to commit to that 20 hours up front. So if you're not willing to invest 20 hours in this skill up front, it's probably something you're not really enjoying or it's not really a lovable project, I think. So you're kind of doomed from the start. So pick another skill that you're happy to invest time into. Another part of this practice, uh, as we've already deconstructed into sub-skills, what we should be doing with our practice is doing one at a time. So you focus all your efforts on one sub-skill at a time. So as we said, for golf, maybe it's for, for a week, you're just going to the driving range and focusing on your driving. Then in the next week, you go to the mini golf and you're just focusing on putting for a whole week. So you're focusing on one sub-skill at a time until you get good at it. So that's it. I think it's all pretty simple, but at the same time, difficult. And if you don't actually approach skill acquisition strategically, you might actually skip a few of these steps and then be failed before you start. So having this strategic approach, I think is going to make it much more likely that you're going to acquire a whole bunch of new skills into your life. In the book, he's got a whole bunch of different skills that he applied it to and has it as a case study, yoga, programming, touch typing, go, ukulele and windsurfing. I think a really interesting one is how he applied it to ukulele. So he had a baby daughter and he decided that he'd want music in the house and for mm. her to learn music and be a cool thing for his daughter. So he thought, all right, I want to be able to play music to her when I'm, you know, she's trying to get to sleep, have a pretty good daddy and daughter moment. So because of that, it was a pretty lovable project in his brain. Okay, so he started researching this skill of learning the ukulele and he found this uh, this video online, which is an awesome one, uh, the four-chord song by the Axis of Awesome. It's a simple four-chord progression, which so many pop songs use. Uh, and the chords are like G, D, E minor, C or 
or C, G, A minor, F, depending on what key you're in. It's just these four chords where you can play hundreds and hundreds of songs like Journey, Don't Stop Believing, Barbie Girl, uh, Green Day, Taylor Swift, Britney Spears, The Offspring, Aerosmith, Avril Lavigne, Elton John, Blink-182, Akon, The Red Hot Chili Peppers, U2, Nickelback. Pretty much everybody has done a four-chord song that you can then, by learning these four chords in a row, you can play so many different songs. Yeah, I recommend watching it on YouTube. It's a pretty funny thing. But you can imagine if you... Matt, hang on, I've got a uke here. <clears throat> You play it? It's a simple four chords. They're the four chords. I don't, know if, I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know if the mic's picked that up, but um, there's so many songs you can play from that. If you watch the four chord song, it's a mm. it's a good little comedy skit. Well, you could imagine if you didn't do that bit of research, you'd be stabbing in the dark, picking out the ukulele, mm. probably starting from chords. Only in doing uh, the horseshoe equivalent of a chord. What's that? Like an F chord, yeah. F minor or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he set a goal of just learning these four chords and being able to play this one song by Axis of Awesome. And with that, learning one song, he gets about 100 different songs in the same hit. Exactly. Um, he deconstructed into, into all the different sub-skills. So you, can, you could learn to play individual notes. You could go full Spanish guitar, single note, finger picking type of stuff but he thought no that's that's not beginner stuff that's advanced you know you need to learn the tuning of the four different strings you need to learn about those basic chords um, you need to learn the different strumming patterns so these are all the the sub skills that he learned and practiced one by one so in quite a short period of time he learned the ukulele and he actually played it at a conference one of chris gillaboo's conference not not even close to the 20 hours he's advertising here. It only just took a few 20-minute mm. sessions to learn these four chords and then start strumming them, and uh, very quickly he achieved his goal. So that was uh, that was Joshy's example, learning the ukulele. As you said, he's got five other examples in the book. I was pleasantly surprised by those. I thought, oh, I'm not going to read those. I'll just skim them and skip them, but I was kind of like, I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. I liked, mm. I liked seeing how he did it. And so we've, done a, we've got a couple of our own examples um, for me, after reading this book and thinking, oh yeah, there's a, there's a few things on my wish I knew how to do list, uh, drawing, art, that type of stuff is definitely high on that list of, of things where I thought I'm no good at. Something you've always had a fixed yeah. mindset about, isn't it? You yeah. say, I'm not an artist. And so that's where I thought, okay, here's an opportunity to, to use this and learn a new skill. Mate, this doesn't translate at all to podcasting given it's a visual thing, but let, oh, me, sh- let me show you. Oh, I'll try and... And here's day we... one. Oh, day zero. He was like the first Jesus. test. That was like the first test of shit I was trying to do. Man, that's actually pretty good. I got this book. Day zero. I got this book, How to Draw Cartoons and Caricatures. Yep. Uh, so I, got, I got some sick. So like, is that bef- that's after the 20 hours, right? No, this is day zero. Before oh. it started. That's that already like, pretty good. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, anyway, that was like the at the very start. And then I got some sick... Um, some sick pens, so it felt better and it felt yep. more enjoyable to the practice. This is like the first test. So that's like the first day when I was like, I drew SpongeBob, Bart Simpson, Cartman and, and Stewie from Family Guy to be like, this is like my base level. I need to improve from there. And then I went through the book page by page, doing all these different practices of drawing faces, drawing Jesus. hands, drawing shoes, um, drawing all this stuff. So I did what? a whole bunch of practice. Are you kidding me? And then this was like, then the, the end result, I'll do like the- Jesus. The, the SpongeBob before and the versus the SpongeBob after, and so it was a bit of. I'd say it was like a good, you know. It's hard for everyone listening now <laughs> to see what I'm saying, but this is actually uh, blow me away. This is actually really good. I'd say that's all. Maybe that's it. Perfect. It looks like you've traced over the legit one. Did you trace it? No tracing. That's no what tracing. I would have done. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's a good, that's a good way to to pretend that you got better just to trace at the end. I'd say it's like um, the drawing. It was good. I probably honestly, I put, well, I, I did sixteen hours by the end. I didn't get to the twenty. I probably dropped off a bit. The, the practices got a bit further and further apart. But I got to the point where it's no longer a really really negative thing. But it's probably not something I'm going to put you. too no, many times into. Unbelievable. You got another one? Got another one. <laughs> got the harmonica. <laughs> So I was just so I started learning the harmonica. I'm probably ten hours in. Uh, in terms of these five principles, so I chose a lovable project. I thought I've already know how to play piano, but a piano is not at all portable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I thought the harmonica—that's something you can carry around and play whenever, wherever. So that was a, something I wanted to learn. Number two, the target level of performance. Basically, I wanted to learn how to do sort of like improv stuff when jamming with someone else. So someone's playing chords and I can mm. play some just free, basically like you on the balcony with the sax and cool freestyle improv shit over I can the top. actually play it, yeah. <laughs> uh, number three was, you know, research, deconstructing. So I learned that there's, you can play chords or you can play one note at a time. So that's obviously a vitally important thing. I didn't realize mm. how hard playing one note was. Then within that, you've got the pucker technique or the tongue blocking. Yep. And I thought tongue blocking, that's that's some advanced shit. So I'm just going to go pucker straight up. Um, there's also bending where you can change the sound of the note, which is sort of what I'm doing at the moment, but that's sort of like at the end. So I thought I'm going to focus on just playing those single notes cleanly. Uh, in terms of number four, eliminating barriers. A big barrier is having other people in the house because it's when you're learning a new instrument, mm. it's fucking it's loud. Well, yeah. <laughs> other, other people don't, so they're they're barriers. So I need to yeah. get those barriers out of the way. So I've got to find how some. Do you get, how do you just clean them out? <laughs> well, it generally involves me going outside or yeah. me picking a time when other people aren't around or something like that. Um, and then making dedicated time. Pretty much every night after dinner, I'll go and do like a 20, 30 minute session um, of practicing that. Jesus, man. That's actually incredible. So that's my sort of like halfway through. We'll see how we go by the end of the 20 hours if I can. Well done. Well, the writing, I'm blown away. (laughs) Harmonica, you just give me a little little rip. So yeah, maybe uh, end of season after a few (laughs) drinks, we'll see how it goes. Exactly. I've got one. It's in hindsight. So it's not after reading this book, but I think um, through this lens, you can kind of see where I went right and where I went wrong. Mm. Briefly at the start, I mentioned about surfing. So this has got a huge frustration barrier, huge reward if you get past it. Mm. So if you think about it, the very start, people are going to just jump on the surfboard, go on white water, stand up. They think they're surfing, but they're not really. (laughs) You're really surfing when you're going along the wave and somewhat pumping along the blue part Mm. and using the force of the the power of the wave. I feel like even getting to the point of standing up is not easier either, yeah? On white water? Yeah. No, is that it's easy? just nothing. Yeah, no, it's nothing. Yeah, it is. Okay, it is. okay. But the gap between that and going mm. along the the wave, it's a huge gap. Yeah. Right. So huge frustration barrier that you need to get through. But for me, it was a lovable project. I had this image of myself, like I'm a bit of a surfer dude, mm. and um, again, being single, thought women would love it. <laughs> Which and is also true. Yeah. That's also true. Yeah. And uh, to go with that, I, when I was traveling around the world, I. Had my surfboard and guitar in the other hand. Couldn't do either at the time. <laughs> Mate, what if any, what if anyone said, "Play me a song"? What, what was your? I didn't. <laughs> you just said, "Oh, I, I didn't." It was more <laughs> the small the, the image. Yeah, just the image. So you know, target level. I wanted to catch waves, go along the, the actual yeah. blue part of the wave and pump. So in terms of research, I started watching videos, got right into it. Um, I bought a few books about the best waves around the world and oh, nice. got a good understanding of 
someone who wants to begin and take it from in, you know beginner to intermediate, where's the best places to be surfing? Uh, four was eliminate barriers to practice. Bought the equipment, and I think a big barrier was finding the time, which kind of mm. mushes in with five. So I went on a nine month trip actually. Oh, nice! <laughs> That's nice. a good way of finding time, isn't it? <laughs> so I went on a nine month trip through Asia. Started off in Indonesia for about five months, Sri Lanka for a month, and I went to places where on the on the magazine it said it was good for beginner intermediate. <laughs> I'm telling you now, it wasn't in Sumatra. <laughs> I think it was a typo, <laughs> but I got there six weeks, nothing, so from the very start in Sumatra, six weeks, but nothing to do with surf three times mm-hmm. a day. Um, there's a few sub-skills with, when it comes to surfing. One is the fear, I'd say, is a huge mm-hmm. sub-skill, and I think I learned that sub-skill on day one or learned how to get over it, playing table tennis with a couple of 15-year-olds the night before, having a few beers, and um, they're like, yeah, we're going surfing the next day. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll come with these 15-year-olds. <laughs> and anyway... As we're going on the coral reef out, the surf was like head and a height above (laughs) and I'm a complete beginner. (laughs) Saw these two young blokes paddling out and I'm like, all right, fucking, I'm going to go as well. Yeah. Shouldn't have gone. (laughs) Anyway, first wave, smash, hit a bit of the reef and just went back in with the tail between my legs. (laughs) But That's probably good though. If if that's like your baseline of like, that's that's as bad as it could get. It's a sub-skill of fear. But after nine months, well, and since then, I did learn to surf and I've, you know, got to a decent point where I can, uh, any holiday I can go to, I can mm. do that as an exercise and it's one of the best things I've ever done is learn how to surf. Yeah, that's sick. Well, if you compare that, I guess, like you've almost, as you said, it was before the book but it's very much the 20 hours method. If you compare that to, if you were living where we're living now in the city where it's, you know, an hour and a half drive down to the surf coast plus an hour and a half back, it, it's a, that's a lot of barriers to mm. entry to, to learn to surf compared to going overseas and doing it where you got all day every day just to practice. And mate, as you say, surfing is one of the best things. I think it's gone from a skill to an identity as well. You got the long hair, you got the the surfer attitude. I started out to surf and the attitude as well. I was a bit of a bluffer. That's all right. But mate, it's. I think it's a really good book, especially the first part of it, where Mm. it actually deconstructs the skill, and you can, with that understanding, you can approach things much more strategically, which is a long way of getting to the point where you can learn the stuff you want to learn. got an awesome email that came through via the contact form on the What You Will Learn website. If you head to whatyouwilllearn.com, you can check out all the blog posts where we're writing a pretty comprehensive write-up of each episode, the best bits. Uh, And there's a contact us form there. And we got this email saying, Hi, Adam and Adam. My name is Hassanayan Ali. I'm from South Australia. First of all, I want to thank you boys for putting in the time and effort for making this podcast. Your podcasts have completely changed my life. It changed my thoughts on everything. My favorite episode of your podcast is The Barefoot Investor and The Laws of Human Nature. I like those episodes so much, I went and bought the books. I've never read a book in my entire life and didn't do good at 
at school, but after listening to your podcast, I challenge myself to read. So far, I've read two books after listening to your podcast, and now I'm on my third. Thank you so much for your good work and keep it up. Mate, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Uh, Really pleased to hear that you've picked up a book, uh, read your first two books of your life. Thanks to listening to this and and you're on to your third now. Um, All the best uh, with that reading journey. I think you'll find a hell of a lot of important lessons that come from books. So thank you so much for that kind message. And if you had a message to send us as well, you can either email us, podcast at what you will learn, or via the website contact form, that's whatyouwillearn.com.